1: All right. The show today uh, is an interesting show. Aaron Oster, the producer of this show, is in studio live from Las Vegas, back from Las Vegas, I should say. Uh, Aaron's going to participate on the show today. Neil and Rockville, uh, our contributing uh, attorney, will weigh in on this congressional story. uh, The Oversight Committee looking at Uh, the NFL, and the Washington football team. You probably read about that. We'll have Neil on to talk about that. I'll give you typical Football Friday stuff, uh, how Washington wins, smell test, and a lot more. And then Cooley will be on the show today. I actually recorded Cooley yesterday, so um, you'll get a sense of that when we talk. But he had a lot on Taylor Heineke, on Landon Collins, on the defense, On Scott Turner, had some thoughts on the Chiefs game, and had some thoughts on Sunday's game against the Packers as well. The show today is brought to you by Window Nation. Uh, Go to WindowNation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. Tell them that Kevin Sheehan told you to call. This is if you're thinking about new windows. They'll give you a free estimate. There's no risk there. They're going to give you the best deal they've got all year long. It's their Fall is Calling sale. You buy two, you get two free with no limit. You don't pay any interest for 24 months and you don't have to put any money down and you don't have to make any payments for 2 years as well. So you get the windows, you don't have to pay any interest and you don't have to pay a nickel on those new new windows until 2023. Go to windownation.com 86690nation. Mention me, you'll get the deal and I promise you it will work out. Aaron's here. I'm here. Wow. First time Aaron's been in this studio since COVID. Yeah. And then during COVID, uh, at some point now, refresh my memory. When did you move to Vegas? Is, it was
2: uh, just bef- to the end of August last year. So just before Labor Day, I started uh, that drive out there, that trek.
1: Aaron said to me, hey, um, I got a new job opportunity. And I said, great. Uh, I'm moving to Vegas. I said even better. (laughs) But are you going to be able to produce the podcast? Yes, I can still do that. It's a different schedule for Aaron in producing the podcast. But Aaron, as I've told you many times before, is producing Tim Murray's show Out in Vegas, and Tim is is co-hosting a show on Brett Musburger's Visa Network. Um, Aaron's an employee and a producer of that show, and and other things at the Visa Network. But he is uh, co-hosting that show with with uh,
2: former NFL quarterback uh, Sean King. What took you so long? What took me so long to what to to register Sean King? Oh, oh! I was just waiting to see if you were if you were waiting for a build up. If you want to draw. No, no, ring. no! I,
1: I was looking at you saying he's co-hosting it with because for a moment I forgot for, it yeah, was for, Sean. Former I was Buccaneers. about to say Sean Jones. No, Sean King. It,
2: it, it was great. Yeah. We had uh, Steve Sands on last week, and we had, it was the first time he had been on with uh, Sean King, and he said uh, the quote: "A lot of people hate Tom Brady or the Buccaneers because of Tom Brady." I hate the Buccaneers because of Sean King and what he did to the Redskins <laughs> in the playoffs back in 2000.
1: I remember that. Uh, Washington had a 13 to nothing lead in that playoff game in Tampa. Brian Mitchell had a 101-yard kickoff return. Actually, it was 100. Be- I think it was 100. Or maybe it was 101. Because when DeAndre Carter returned the kickoff a few weeks back in Atlanta for the touchdown, it tied the all-time franchise mark for distance on a kickoff return. And I think he tied that with uh, – with Brian Mitchell. Anyway, um, do you like living in Vegas? Oh, it's
2: crazy. It's great. It's wonderful. It's
1: so much cheaper than living here, for one. Right.
2: Uh, but no, I, you know, the weather is great, obviously, other than, you know, in August. But when you're just kind of waking up, doing work from home, and then heading over to a casino to do the show from a casino, you don't actually have to deal with the weather all that much. So, as people said when I got out
1: there, yeah, you just kind of get used to living in air conditioning. Uh, it's, it is, but you know, this time of year, you can actually get really cold at night was like last winter. Didn't you guys have, I think you had some snow last winter, didn't you?
2: Yeah. Some of the North, not necessarily. I don't think we got it at my house, but I know places in Northern Vegas and closer to the mountains a little bit, definitely had it. And you can see it. That's one of the cool things about Vegas is just, you know, you can, you have the mountains, you have the city obviously. And just as you're driving into work, you can see the snow capped mountains last winter.
1: So you guys are doing your show from the Circa Sportsbook, which yeah. I've heard is spectacular. It's, You've told me that, but I've had a couple of friends who have been out to it, and it's it's amazing, right?
2: It's absolutely incredible. The owner, Derek Stevens, has built the Circa with a sportsbook in mind, which is something nobody does. Most places on the Strip, wherever else— you know you have a sports book and sports books are getting slightly more relevant but let's be honest the slots pay more so you have to build out the slots and then you kind of put the sports book at the corner no no this casino was built with the sports book with the sports fan in mind it's a i think it's technically a three story sports book it has two two things of seating it has stadium seating and then that doesn't even include the pool which is a called stadium swim uh-huh. and it's has a giant board. I believe it's the size of the Cowboy Stadium scoreboard that just shows sports
1: constantly. Is it
2: constantly packed?
1: Yeah, it's generally pretty packed. I mean,
2: obviously on Wednesdays, on Tuesdays or whatever. Have not... you
1: guys done football Saturdays and Sundays? Because you're not doing your shows on the weekend. So
2: I, I haven't done stadium swim for football Saturday or Sunday uh-huh. yet, but the sports book. It's, yeah, I have absolutely gone out to the Circa for a Sunday night and it's or for Sunday day, and it's been crazy. Actually, I got to see the uh, Justin Tucker game-winning field goal, that long one from
1: that oh sports book, and it was insane. Um. It's not on the strip, right? No,
2: it's on Fremont Street. It's the first new casino in, on Fremont so Street. So, way back, in like
1: down where, like, the Golden Nugget and everything is. It's else. right across from yeah. the Nugget and the yeah. Plaza. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a different environment. If you haven't been to Fremontry in a while, it, it's gotten different over the past uh, few years.
1: And so you you live in Henderson, which is a suburb outside of Vegas. Yep. And it really is, like, I don't think people who have been to Vegas or just go maybe once every few years. It really is, like, it's not all about the gaming industry. No. When you get out in the suburbs, it's a normal Lifestyle, and I mean, I, mean I, I bet you know people who work in the in in the casinos and work in the hotels. I mean, it's a very much a hospitality town, Absolutely. but, but lots of you know young people and young families and good schools and the whole thing, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, and it, it's spread out. Everybody, you know, you think of Vegas, you think of the Strip, and and it's yes, the Strip is obviously the focal point, and I can see the Strip from my balcony, which was a huge uh, perk in buying that specific house, was being able to see the Strip, but it's a lot more spread out than you think because obviously there's henderson and then there's vegas and vegas goes out so much farther than anybody thinks out to the red rocks uh, out what, what's called Summerlin, which is kind of the new area that's really blowing up um but yeah i mean people are constantly in and out and, and it is just kind of it's a normal lifestyle but it's a normal lifestyle with a twist when you can you know there's a off-trip casino five minutes from my house with, with a sports book. There's, you know, all of the bars have 24-7 gambling and stuff. And, the,
1: and by the way, the restaurants are phenomenal. Oh,
2: of course, yeah. I mean, we're just yeah. going out trying all the different places, whether it's in the casinos or out of the casinos. Just everything has a little, you know, you have to have a little twist because there's so much going on there that every uh, restaurant really puts its best foot forward. So are you and your wife
1: Vaughn's customers or Albertson's customers?
2: Albertson's uh, and, Smith's. and Smith's. Smith's and too? Albertson's,
1: yep. Yeah. So when I, um, in my, uh, former life before broadcasting, when I, um, was working with supermarket chains all over the country, uh, I spent a lot of time in Vegas, not always because I had a client in Vegas. (laughs) Many times it was because I was on the West coast in LA or in San Francisco or in Phoenix. And I would say, you know, I'm going to schedule that meeting for a Friday afternoon. And then I'd go to Vegas and stay there for the weekend and fly home on Sunday night. But, um, we worked in uh, Vegas with Lucky's, and Lucky's, I think, was purchased by Vons. Um, I think that's how it worked many years ago. But uh, Vons was there, Albertsons was there. Vons was always a great supermarket chain in L.A. Anyway, I don't know how we're getting sidetracked here. <laughs> but um, there was something else that I wanted to ask you about the, um, uh, as it related to Vegas. Oh, so when there is a big event in town... Okay, I don't want to talk about the Raiders yet because I want to ask you about that uh, uh, separately. But when there's a big fight in town, you know, or a you know, big, yeah, whatever. Like there was a golf tournament there last there, week. There I don't was. know if that was a you know, uh, Rory won it. Um, well, there there was the uh, the the Fury fight a couple the, weeks ago. So so when Wilder and Fury fought a couple weeks ago, because I've been to a lot of fights in Vegas. I've probably been to. I don't know eight nine ten big fights in Vegas over the years. It's been a while. Uh, some of it was for work, um, but many of it, uh, many of those fights that I went to, um, w- it was you know just as a fan uh, and to make it part of a of a boy's Vegas weekend. I think I've told people this before, but I was at the Fan Man fight. You know when when the Fan Man flew in to the Holyfield Bow fight, flew in right over my head, which was nineteen <laughs> ninety. I think it was, 1993. Anyway, um, when the big event is in town, like I've always felt when I've been in Vegas and there's a big ev- event, big fight, everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Like no matter where you go. Like if you're in a casino, the, you know, the pit bosses, the dealers, everybody's talking about who do you like in the fight. And then you go back to your hotel and you go to a restaurant, who do you like in the fight? Is that still the same thing?
2: It, it's still very much that way, especially obviously down on Fremont Street, down that area. But I remember it, just for that fight, um You know, I just uh, me and my wife went on just kind of a date afternoon because we don't have a lot of chance to do that with me working nights now. And, you know, we went to a wine bar just out in Summerlin at this little place. And they were the bartender when found out what I did, asked about the fight, just asked about, you know, the Raiders as well. Because that's becoming it's amazing how big local sports have gotten there between the Knights and now the Raiders. All right.
1: So tell me about it. Like how big is the Raiders deal? And then how big was the Gruden thing last week?
2: Um. Actually, it's funny. At, at this moment, the Knights has fa- have been far more embraced. Just Obviously, they went on that run their first year, and, and for a number of reasons. It also happened after that shooting. So they, they really rallied around that team. So the Knights knights flags are everywhere. On my street, you see Knights flags just all up and down the road. Um, it, it's fantastic. And the Raiders are certainly getting there. The interesting thing about the Raiders is, and, and we knew this was going to happen the moment they announced, specifically the Raiders were in Vegas, is how much... You know, how many people are coming in for games and not just the away teams, but it's become Raider fans, Raider fans and, and celebrities. I remember can't remember. I think it was the second game like air traffic around McCarran was slowed because of how many private jets were flying in for right. the Raiders games. How many just how much air traffic there is like it, it is a, an air alert every time they come in because of how many people are coming in for the Raiders games. And and people are talking about. People are buzzing. You go out to Fremont Street, you see, you know, people who look like they belong in the black hole walking up and down the street. Right. It's it's become a you know it's become a scene. As far as like truly embracing them by the community, it's getting there. It's absolutely getting there. Uh, I think if they win, it would help. Obviously, that's the case for any city, and but especially a city like Vegas. But uh, it's it's really unique to see. Something like the Knights and even, actually, the their minor league, the Henderson Silver Knights, which are building their arena like
1: – Really? That's m- big?
2: Oh, it, it's become actually a – yeah, it's a big thing. It's all over Henderson. You see their flags, and they're building a brand-new, beautiful arena like three minutes from my house, which is actually, I think, the Big West uh, basketball tournament's being held there uh, this year. So I'm looking forward to that. Actually, that's what I'm looking forward to when we get to – Where park. do the Knights play? They play at T-Mobile
1: Arena. Is that – that's Thomas all, and Mac? No.
2: No, that that's T-Mobile Arena. It's on the Strip. It's right. It's right behind uh, New York, New York.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, so it, it's right there. That's where the Knights play. That's where the the Fury Wilder fight was. Basically, any big UFC fight is there. Um, obviously, you know the big big fights will now go to Allegiant,
1: but yeah. And the stadium is where?
2: That's so. That's basically right across the highway from uh, Mandalay Bay, right on the south part of
1: the. Street. So near the airport. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And near the Cosmopolitan. Yeah. Yeah, sort of near there. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. South of the Cosmopolitan.
1: I mean, like yeah. Mandalay Bay was right. Like, you could see Mandalay Bay as you were landing on the plane. Absolutely. Yeah, Mandalay Bay was... is
2: like the southern part,
1: the most south part of the Strip. Right. The southernmost part of the Strip, right. Yep. Yeah, and then you move north, and you're moving, you know, up through, you know.
2: MGM Grand, MGM, Excalibur. and then
1: Caesars, and yep. Flamingo, and then eventually you get to the Venetian, and the wind and the whole thing.
2: And the Strat up top.
1: Yeah, yep. way up there. Yeah. Um, I love the wind. I love the encore. And I love the Venetian. We had a deal at the Venetian for many years, and I loved – I thought the Venetian was awesome, but really the Encore – I haven't been there in a while. Is that still considered great, the Encore? It's it's not it, 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 things just keep getting trumped by uh, by new exa- places. I mean,
2: we we there's a brand new casino that opened I want to say two months ago called Resorts World that's now apparently putting everything to shame. I haven't even been. That's there yet.
1: that one. A friend of mine went to. That's even further north. Right? Yeah,
2: that's yeah just south of that's I think that's near Circus Circus. Yeah. Um. So if you're familiar with the strip, yeah, that's definitely the north part of the strip. It's funny, like. I'm already becoming a Vegas local. I avoid this trip as much as I can. Yeah, right. <laughs> because it's...
1: this is your hometown now.
2: Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing how quickly that happened, which is how much more expensive everything is there, how much traffic's there. And, right. you know, we, we turn our nose down at the tourists, even though I've only <laughs> been there a year.
1: Even though you, you're pretty much still one. Exactly. Um, so you think you're going to live there forever?
2: I don't know about forever. I I am enjoying it there right yeah. now, though. And I, Tim is too. Yeah, Tim's definitely enjoying it there, and we're having a great time. The, the night shift's definitely still getting some used to, but then we have games like. You know. So
1: what the night shift though? Like locally, local time, you're doing seven to ten. Seven to ten. Right. You can listen to it here. I. I Tim always tells me, you can listen to it on XM Sirius, right?
2: Not XM Sirius. You can hear it on the iHeartMedia app. Oh, iHeartMedia. But if you have uh, Xfinity here, if you have the Xfinity cable package, it's one of the apps. If you just talk into your voice remote, say VEASAN, it'll pop up immediately. You can find it if you have YouTube TV, if you have Sling TV. There are a number of uh, cable, or not cable packages, but kind of the cutting the cord packages that we're now on.
1: Yeah, here it is right here. Um, It's The Nightcap with Tim Murray and Sean King, 10 to 1 a.m. Eastern on VEASAN, uh, produced by Aaron Oster. Who also has this side gig, which is producing this podcast, <laughs> and hopefully several other side gigs uh, as well. Have you guys had a chance, honestly, to meet Brent, Brent yet or not? Yeah,
2: actually, uh, yeah, had a chance to uh, meet Brent, maybe his whole family. Actually, funny thing, I, I got to uh, see him as he was sweating out a Dodgers game a few months ago, towards the tail end, and he. Was... But
1: does he stop by to the show at all or anything like that? He doesn't. Isn't uh... it his son that's basically running it? Yes, his son uh, or his uh, nephew. Nephew,
2: right. nephew. Uh, uh, Brian is uh, the CEO of the company, and so I see Brian a lot. And, yeah, I see Brent has stopped by the show a few times. He's usually 7 to 10. You know, it's tricky around that right. time. Especially he's usually there on weekends and stuff, so uh, not necessarily. That's that's always the interesting thing, the condition people are in at 7 to 10 when they walk by the studio on a Friday night. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've had him on, and, and we've talked to him outside, and he's amazing. He's everything you would think he would be and, you know. Just, like I said, sweating out in the middle of August, some random Dodgers bet and celebrating it like he just won the World Series.
1: Brent Musburger. I think he probably, for me, is all-time top three in terms of sports broadcasters. I mean, truly – I mean, plus, by the way, he's got to be in his 80s now. Oh, yeah. And uh, and he left. He left, you know, everything he was doing ESPN to be a part of this network, which is now really um, taken off – and, uh, you know, I, I, to, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it purchased recently by DraftKings or was there just an investment by DraftKings? No,
2: Kings? it is purchased by DraftKings. We are still an independent operation, but we are okay. owned by DraftKings.
1: Um, that's awesome. All right, let's get to um, some uh, conversation about sports. I'm going to get to all the Friday football stuff here shortly. Neil in Rockville is going to join us to just give us his thoughts on this congressional Oversight Committee story. They have requested from the NFL um, a lot of information uh, related to uh, related to the NFL investigation, Beth Wilkinson's investigation, and the Washington Football Team conduct itself. You know, will it lead to something? Uh, Neil will share that with us. My initial gut was, um, I just can't see that the NFL is going to really help them out. Now they have subpoena power. They do. Uh, uh, Anytime you see these stories, and it's a headline now every other week about the Washington football team, there's hope. This one, for whatever reason, didn't generate a ton of hope for me, um, but I don't know enough about it and how this thing will proceed. Neil's been looking at it um, every which way, so he will join us here shortly to discuss. I do want to start with this real quickly. First of all, if you did not listen to the radio show this morning, I had Ron Rivera on the show um and I recorded that yesterday. Ron was great. And I had Wes Unseld Jr. on the on the show. And Wes is the new coach of the Wizards, and I know a lot of you don't really give a shit about the Wizards right now anyway. Um but I really uh I, he is he's so soft spoken and so um it's not that he, I'm not suggesting that he does, that he lacks personality, but he is incredibly even keeled and soft spoken. And it's the first time I've interviewed him. You know, I've had Tommy Shepard, the GM, on the show many times, and Tommy, you know, really gets after it. Wes was so understated, but I also caught him, you know, right after they had uh, unveiled the bust of Wes Sr. Uh, at Capital One Arena, which I'm thrilled at. And that's a big deal because Wes really is. An all-time legend, sports legend in this town. And really the 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 face, the all-time icon of the Wizards. But I bring that up because I think Wes was good, so you can listen to it on the Odyssey app or at the team980.com. But when I recorded the interview with him, I did not yet know if his father had made the NBA 75th anniversary team. I don't know if you knew this, Aaron, but They did this in 1996 where they unveiled the greatest 50 players Mm -hmm. in the history of the NBA, and it became a big list, and people who were left off, people who were on it, two Bullets players, two Bullets slash Wizards organization players were on it in terms of the Washington franchise, and they were Elvin Hayes and Wes Unsell, deservedly so. Well, the first 25 of these players were unveiled a couple of nights ago, I think on opening night, Mm -hmm. and then the other 50 were unveiled last night. And I, My concern was with you know the last 25 years, all of the great players that have played in the game over the last 25 sure. years, that somehow Wes was going to be off the list. As it turns out, he wasn't off the list, and none of the 50 that were on the original list are off. They all made the All-75. Now, I'm glad that that happened that way, but... What does it say about the last 25 years that would supposedly produced some of the most dynamic and, and great players of all time? Like the last 25 years list, um, you know, includes players like obviously, you know, Kobe Bryant and Steph Curry and Damian Lillard and, um, you know, I'm going down the list here, Steve Nash and Dirk and... I don't know if Shaq was on that list 50 years ago. Actually, he probably was in 1996. Sure he was. I, I, well, Kobe was probably on that list at that point, maybe. Mm, no, 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 no. no. They hadn't had won the titles yet. Yeah, right, no, no. Yeah. Kobe wasn't even drafted yet. Shaq wouldn't have been on that. He's got to be a new addition. Yeah. Um. So Uh. anyway, you, you can look for the list on your own. But there was a big hullabaloo yesterday about Kyrie Irving not making the, the all 75th anniversary team. And several players were like, look, we may not like him, but he should be on the all-time 70, all 75. All he, um, there was a player who said that Kyrie Irving, uh, Andre Iguodala, actually, um, an NBA championships, you know, MVP uh, with the Warriors, said that Kyrie Irving deserved to be in the top 20. Uh, no, he doesn't. Kyrie Irving does <laughs> not deserve to be in the top 20 of the all-time no. 75. No. It's very possible that 10 years from now, or maybe five, six, seven years from now, Kyrie Irving enters that territory. Look, I'm not, you know, this isn't an old man get off my, you know, get off my lawn rant, because Kyrie Irving is one of the greatest ball handlers yeah. in the history of the game and one of the great one-on-one creators of all time. But if you told me right now, like all time projecting where, where Kyrie's career goes, and let's just say Steph Curry's career goes, I still think Steph Curry's a better player than Kyrie Irving. Steph Curry's on this list easily. By the way, he went for 45 last night for the Warriors. Kyrie Irving, it is totally, totally appropriate that he's not on this list yet. First of all, he hasn't played enough uh, to this point uh, in his career. Um, top 20 is a joke. You know, uh, CBS Sports did a top 100 poll of the players in the league entering this season, and he was 17th. So he was 17th of the players that exist now. Last year on the same list, he was 23rd. You know, his contemporaries that made this, this list are Steph Curry, Chris Paul, James Harden. His true contemporaries. All three of them deserve to be in there in front of Kyrie Irving. This is, by the way, not an anti-vaxxer rant at all. I mean, he's a dope. I mean, he's a major flat-earther dope. I mean, I think we can all, regardless of, <laughs> of what you feel about anything, this is not the brightest bulb on the bush by a long shot. He certainly thinks he is. There's no doubt about that. He is an, an incredible player. And, you know, the truth is the the the, the championship that Cleveland won with LeBron, that seventh and in, in deciding game, the alpha in that game was Kyrie Irving. He was. He not only knocked down the biggest shot of the game, he was the best player in the fourth quarter of that game. I'm not demeaning LeBron, who, of course, is on this list as well. Um, but anyway, I just thought, you know, I don't think he deserved to be on the list, even though I think, you know, 25 years from now, it's very possible he will be on the list. But when Igadala said top 20, how can you say that when your own players who've, who created this poll for CBS Sports ranked him 17th in the league this year and 23rd before last year? I mean, you're not a top 75 player of all time if in a given year, in, your, in supposedly your prime of your career, your, your, your own contemporaries don't even have you as a top five or top 10 player. Durant's on the list. Yes. All of them. You know, everybody you would think of from I, this era is I, on the I
2: list. I am a little surprised. I, I thought Anthony Davis might fall into that. Too,
1: where, too soon. He's on the list. Is he really? Oh, yeah. that's right. He is on the list.
2: And that, that I was gonna say, like that was the name that I was thinking of. Where eh, it might just be too soon, but he'll certainly be on there at some point.
1: But no, he actually made the list, and that actually surprised me. Um, guys that uh, are are not on the list. Again, the top fifty list. I think the the all, all top all the top fifty made it from uh, before. Um but you know, including guys like Maravich and Dominique and Dave Cowens and Earl Monroe and Dave debuscher, you know people there were there were names being tossed around about uh, for guys that they didn't think would end up being on the final list uh, with all the new players um, but they're all they're all on there uh, as well. yeah, I'm looking at a list right now uh, just
2: kind of the snubs people are really caping for right now. Uh, Dwight Howard not being on the list is a little surprising, though I I can certainly understand it. Uh, Other people are saying uh, Tracy McGrady, Manu Ginobili, and then Kyrie.
1: Yeah. Kyrie is the big one. I think I, I, none of the others do I think deserve to be in the top 75. I mean, I, I love, uh, I mean, Dwight Howard, you know, at his best, but his best was short and, and, that, and, and that's
2: the same with McGrady, like S- Tracy McGrady, totally was with McGrady,
1: a- Manu Ginobili, you know, look, he was a great pay- player for a long period of time, but he was also not that a sixth man can't be here because Havlicek is, um, but, uh, Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, Kawhi Leonard's on this list. I was immediately looking for him and he totally deserves to be on the list. All right. There's your NBA talk for the day. (laughs) Everybody's so excited about that. Uh, Neil in Rockville is going to join us right now um, to talk about the big story yesterday uh, as we bring in Neil. All right, let's talk about this big story uh, that broke uh, late yesterday afternoon. Congress seeking information on the NFL and the Washington football team. Beth Wilkinson investigation. They're seeking documents, information on this. It's the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Uh, two Congress Congresswomen, uh, uh, Carol Maloney, uh, Carolyn Maloney, that wouldn't be our good friend, Carol Maloney, um, Carolyn Maloney. Uh, and Raja Krishnamoorthy. Uh, I don't know if I said that correctly. Um, But they have asked the league for a bunch of information related to the Beth Wilkinson investigation, and they've given the league until November 4th to get it done. Neil in Rockville is with us, Neil, and a practicing attorney some of the time, um, but in all seriousness, one of the great uh, Montgomery County courthouse uh, attorneys of all time and a good friend to this show and the legal contributor to this show. And he's looked into all of this And he's pretty opinionated typically anyway on matters of the Washington football team and the NFL. So let's get to it. For those that don't know what this is or what it means, sum up what Congress uh, asked the NFL for yesterday.
3: Basically what they did was they sent a letter to the NFL, not to the Washington football team, to the NFL, seeking a significant amount of documents, reports, things like that um, because in summary in their letter they say we have serious concerns about what happened to be widespread abuse of workplace conduct at the washington football team and about the nfl's handling of this matter communications between the league management and the washington football team leadership also raised questions about the league's asserted impartiality in these investigations in addition to the deep troubled we are deeply troubled by the reported use of non-disclosure agreements to potentially conceal inappropriate behavior, including conduct that is prohibited by federal laws such as Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, The the NFL's lack of transparency about the problems. It recently uncovered raised questions about the seriousness with which it has addressed bigotry, racism, sexism, and homophobia, setting troubling precedent for other workplaces. The committee is seeking to fully understand this workplace conduct in the league's response which will help inform legislative efforts to address toxic and work environments and workplace investigation processes strengthen protections for women in the workplace and address the use of non-disclosure agreements to prevent the disclosure of unlawful employment practices including sexual harassment
1: okay so you just you just read that letter what does it mean and will the nfl have to turn this stuff over or not
3: um What it means is they are trying to use the congressional oversight authority to delve into not only the particulars of the Washington football team, but also seemingly, in light of probably the more recent salacious emails and the fallout from the Gruden matter, um, the issues having to do with um, the NFL's. Uh, how they're treating issues of sexual harassment and the like. They want documents. They want all the emails. They want all the reports. They want basically notes if people took notes when Beth Wilkinson gave her oral report because, as we know, she didn't give a written report. But furthermore, um, they're also seeking policies um, and other things that they believe would help them Look into this matter because they have oversight onto issues relating to civil rights um, and workplace environment.
1: Are they more interested in how the league handled this investigation, or how the league or ha- league is handling other matters related to, you know, um, uh, you know, sexual harassment and workplace environment for women, et cetera, or are they targeting the Washington football team?
3: It's really both. They're clearly targeting the Washington football team, and I think that's one of the places where they might have some problems ultimately getting some of the materials that they're seeking. But they're also trying to, in light of the recent disclosures about, I think, some of the emails, the photographs, the bigotry in some of the emails um, as being reported, uh, that overall they're looking at the NFL um, and how they act um, when it comes to sexual harassment or other claims of workplace environment. But also, as you all have, you and Tommy and others have really talked about, is the use of these nondisclosure agreements um, by NFL um, teams and the NFL in general. um, That looks like a serious focus of what they're looking at because they claim that they probably in some way inhibit investigations having to do with uh, Title VII or uh, discriminatory practices, sexual harassment, um, and the like. Um, they don't, but that's sort of what they're couching this as a way, the hook, for them to be able to at least begin attempting to conduct uh, congressional investigation.
1: I mentioned to you this morning when you came on the radio show um, because I was reading this last night. You know, the probe into the Carolina situation back in 2018, which was ultimately, you know, part of, uh, you know, the Jerry Richardson exit, the David Tepper entrance into that football team, it was conducted by this woman, Mary Jo White, and one of her major recommendations to Goodell um, after providing, by the way, a very long investigative written report, unlike what Beth Wilkinson did. She presented her report orally. Um, How convenient was that? But um, one of the significant recommendations was for the NFL to prohibit the use of non-disclosure agreements moving forward because they were ways to hide violations, to hide uh, certain conduct among you know NFL people, um, they were a way to keep you know potential witnesses or victims muzzled, and Goodell completely ignored that. So do you? You. It sounds to me like you think that one of the things that maybe Congress is pursuing, or what you know people outside of the league would love, is for the league to not be able to use these nondisclosure agreements with their employees.
3: Well, I think a lot of people think they don't want corporations, not just the NFL, basically every corporation, whether it's private or public, not to use nondisclosure agreements when it comes to settlements. And, and, and that's really where non-disclosure agreements come into play, is with, with settlements. But, you know, for every time it may help the employer, there's also a significant benefit to nondisclosure agreements being permitted to the employee. And, and a person making claims. Not only does it put them in a position where they can negotiate um, possibly more settlement because it will not become public, um, but also it would protect the, their behavior in certain circumstances. One of the benefits of the nondisclosure agreement is you pr- is it allows you to keep things out of the public eye and that is a reason not to go to trial because if you go to trial, trials are public. Everything ultimately would probably come in for public view. And in order to avoid that, you make a settlement, you sign a non disclosure agreement, so therefore you get the benefit of the privacy. But the employee also gets the benefit um, right. of probably some more settlement, but also their actions which may have led to some of the problems, are also kept out of the public eye. Um, but everyone seems to think in, that these nondisclosure agreements you know, are this evil. Um, but in reality, it's also clear that nondisclosure agreements are not allowed to prohibit an employee from filing a claim with the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So the notion that these nondisclosure agreements somehow prohibit um, the uh, EEOC or other federal-related agencies from investigating if an employee files is just incorrect and it's more for show than an actual um what happened?
1: Okay, so um, we're talking to Neil in Rockville. Neil, a longtime listener and, uh, and and participant on the station and on the podcast over the years, when we've needed him. So I, I do want just for the purposes of you know everybody understanding this, including myself to a certain degree, actually to a big degree. What exactly does the Committee on Oversight and Reform? what is their job? what does this committee do what what are they why is it that this particular committee that's involved
3: well this committee in particular it's it's a it's actually a very general um, committee i mean it's oversight and reform um of sort of just i think under them the e e o c civil rights and just you know, a general things that are of interest to the the common cause of, of the nation and things like that. These committees sort of have a lot of crossover. So there are numerous committees. One is the Oversight and Reform. Um, the other is, so M- Maloney is Committee of Oversight and Reform. Um, the other Uh, congresswoman is the subcommittee on economic
1: and consumer policy jesus god okay i'm sorry i asked actually at this (laughs) point seriously i'm sorry i asked um do do they have subpoena power
3: ultimately these committees do have subpoena power but subpoena power requires usually a majority of the committee to um, issue a subpoena and then once a subpoena is issued then you can challenge the subpoena, whether it's overbroad, whether it invades uh, privacy issues. They can also be challenged in court. So all this letter is is sort of like a, hey, would you give this to us? We'd really like to see all this stuff. And in response, my, my guess is going to be is that the NFL will say, thank you for your inquiry. We, are, we too, are very concerned about these issues. We are. We would happily meet with you and your representatives to discuss this and how we can proceed in the future for better work environments for everybody.
1: Will the league feel any pressure to do more than that because of the antitrust exemption? No. Okay.
3: Um, I mean, these are two. I mean, with all due respect, they are two members of Congress, but they are just merely two members of Congress.
1: Okay. So. What's next? The November 4th deadline, you just described how you think the league will handle that. So then how do you think they'll handle that in response? Will it be enough for them? And if it isn't, what what would happen next? Because let's keep in mind, and I've already mentioned this, there is no written report here. Beth Wilkinson was asked to give an oral presentation of the report. Doesn't mean that there aren't lots of notes And maybe, you know, well, there are lots of notes, I would assume. But what? just give us sort of the next steps here. November 4th comes. The league says, hey, we'd be glad to sit down and talk with you. We're just not going to provide you with all this other stuff. Then what happens?
3: Well, first on your, your notion that there are many notes, my guess is that since there had been no inquiry immediately afterwards, that all notes and those things ended up shredded.
1: Right, because um, the NFL owns it, correct, yeah, they paid so for it.
3: I don't think there are I don't think there are notes. I don't think they took notes. Okay like that. Um, uh, on the report, they probably listened, took notes, made their decision, and got rid of the notes. Okay. That, that's just my my idea of how it would play out. Um, ultimately, probably what will happen is, you know, these two congresswomen would probably say, you know, we attempted to contact the NFL. We wanted this material. Um, They are stonewalling us. And, you know, therefore, we may have to take necessary steps to then secure them and attempt to subpoena this information and those members of the NFL and others who have information that we are trying to seek um, to better, you know, conditions for all. Um, Now, whether they ultimately get enough other members of their subcommittees or committees to join in um, to issue subpoenas and try and take depositions, that's one thing, but then that would begin an entire legal battle that probably would last, you know, well over 18 to 24 months before they could ever get anything of substance.
1: We'll have two Super Bowl winners by the time we get to it. So let's cut to the chase. Do you see a day in which Dan Snyder is called to a con- a congressional hearing um, and takes the oath uh, and sits down and answers questions from congresswomen and congressmen about what's going on here in Washington.
3: Um, I'm about 99.99% sure that would not occur. If it did occur, though, my guess is that would be in a closed-door session. And unfortunately, I know for everybody who would love to sit there and, you know, watch it eating popcorn, it, they're not going to be able to watch the testimony because it really is individualized. The, this is a, I mean, it's a private corporation. It's not even a publicly traded corporation. Um, these are personnel matters, um, and, you know, it's, you can't use congressional hearings like this uh, purely to try and embarrass a person. Um, you can seek information to help your legislation in the future, but getting Dan Snyder up there um, is not going to uh, move that needle very far. And likely, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet your money on whether he'll ever appear.
1: So, will this big headline of yesterday lead to anything that anybody, that we all want, which is somehow Dan Snyder losing his team?
3: Though past performance is not indicative of future returns, we have seen many many big headlines on this very topic. And last I checked, he is still in the uh, head of our local football team, and therefore this, like everything else, is a nice you know, headline for the Washington Post, for some of the other uh, media outlets, but I believe this, like everything else, will not go far. It could affect the NFL more than our local team, um, because at least there is an argument that the NFL in general is a more uh, influential part of American society, and, and the NFL might get a little bit of trouble and um, may ultimately have to appear to explain some things. But whether you ever see Dan Snyder um, in front of a congressional uh, committee is
1: slim and nil. You know, the only thing I think about, like when the headline came out yesterday and, you know, it's there's there will be more to come about whatever it is, because that's the track record of um, this man's organization. At some point, I mean, how many times have we said this, but at some point will, you know, the crafts? Well, I shouldn't even bring up the crafts, uh, given what Bob Kraft was involved with. But will the owners just say, God almighty, enough is enough. Like, there's just always something with this dude and his team, and it's not worth it. He's ruined one of our most lucrative markets. We're missing out on a big lucrative market opportunity with him continuing to run this team. Uh, At some point, I'm sure they're thinking that. Like, good God, this guy is a disaster but I think they're just afraid to run him. But I, at some point, it's just it's overwhelmingly a good business to get rid of him.
3: Or are they saying, thank God we have a dupe like Dan Snyder running one of our teams, so all of the stuff that we've been
1: doing <laughs> maybe
3: pales in comparison to anything and all the negative publicity is he's having because – you know, if we get him out, which one of us is next? Because one of us would be next. Whether it's Kraft, whether it's the guy who owns the Cleveland Browns, who his history yeah. with, you know, serious criminal charges is significant. The owner, what's his name, who owns the Indianapolis Colts? I mean, you know, his girlfriend ended up dead of an overdose. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot of things and a lot of these guys and owners, you know probably look at and say well you know what at least we got dan snyder if something goes bad we'll just tell them hey look over there look at snyder i'm not as bad as that he he may be you know uh, sore to keep around but my guess is they don't necessarily mind keeping him around and particularly with the way that the nfl divides proceeds and now all the proceeds are by you know almost all television contracts Anyways, that's where most of the money's made from. You know, they're not really losing money with, with him being an embarrassment. And one, if and when we do, you know, find a, a quarterback in, in, a, in a defense um, and we get good again sometime, knock on wood, you know, it'll just be extra gravy.
1: Yeah, I I I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Like he, you know, he's in these league meetings, and literally on the way out, guys are slapping like "kick me" stickers on the back of his, you know, shirt. Like this is what he's become, probably to them too. I, I'll tell you what, though, seriously, for some of the owners that have taken some penalties from for far lesser shit, you know, I think about Deflate Gate, which basically the report. Um, indicated that it was probable that these these balls weren't, you know, messed with, and yet there were suspensions, there were draft picks, there were fines, the whole thing, and this guy gets off with a $10 million fine. And, uh, oh, by the way, you know, uh, just let, you know, name Tanya co-CEO so we can take some of the heat off you for a little while. Um, all right, thanks. Good job. Appreciate it.
3: You got it. My pleasure. Take care, Kevin.
1: All right, up next, uh, we will get to uh, all that we want to get to related to a three, two, one. All right, up next, uh, we'll do a football three, two, one. All right, up next, we'll do football Friday stuff. I'll have keys to a win over Green Bay, smell test, and more, and then Cooley will finish up uh, the show with us. Uh, right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Helps us a lot. Doesn't cost you a thing rate us and review us wherever you can rate us five stars please we'll take four we'd prefer five a one sentence review go ahead and pause the podcast right now and write your one sentence review it'll take you two minutes especially if you're on apple spotify or google Um, it really does help and i have gotten all of you that have complained about apple getting the show out late we have registered those complaints over and over again i had the same issue myself the other day but just a reminder That if the show isn't up when you want it to be up, just go to com and it'll be up there. And there are other ways to listen to it as well. But Apple has been slow for every podcast for some reason in making the show available. It gets published by us, and for whatever reason, it's usually up everywhere within about 10 to 15 minutes. But with Apple recently, it's taken an hour or longer for them to get the show up. Uh, I listen to most of my podcasts on Apple. Actually, I do. Um, but uh, if you're ready to listen to the show and it's not there, just go to the com and it's right there as well. All right. Um, you can also search Kevin Sheehan Megaphone and listen to it that way as well. All right. Let's get to the game on Sunday. You think they have a chance, Aaron? No. No,
2: not at all. Uh, th- the only reason that I even have my eyebrow raised it's just because of the line movement i don't understand the line movement right now but uh other than that no i just think the packers are better at every facet. speaking of the game though before we get into the game itself did you find it funny that uh, the Packers announced that they're putting in players into their Hall of Fame next year days before they play Washington?
1: Well, it was into their Hall of Fame. It wasn't jersey retirement, right? Yeah, but
2: but just just announcing that. I, I, yeah, who were th-
1: the players again?
2: I can It was a, one of their wide, uh good wide receivers of the
1: um, 2000s. I can't yeah.
2: remember which one it was. But you had that, and then they're they're also doing the you know the the throwback game this
1: week. It just kind of was a funny. Well, I'm, I'm sure, sure the throwback have. game was planned well, sure. uh, I, I, well before the Sean absolutely.
2: Taylor stuff, It yeah. was just funny,
1: though. Uh, Tim Harrison, and Greg Jennings. Greg gonna, Jennings, that's they, it was. Uh, yeah. Aaron, uh, the other day the Packers announced that next September, okay, so they announced it nearly a year before, that Tim Harris and Greg Jennings are going into the Packers Hall of Fame. Look, anybody that's going to announce a jersey retirement or a Hall of Fame induction for a team is not going to announce it three days before. We all know that. I mean, last week – Man, what we were in the middle of last week with the Sean Taylor stuff. I'm I'm all Sean Taylored out at this point. One hundred percent. Um, but uh, yeah. I mean, that's how you do it, and that's how they did it with Bobby Mitchell too. I mean, you know, until they realized that they needed some cover mm-hmm. for uh, an ugly situation last week. I wonder what they're going to do to cover for this congressional thing. Um, who knows? Uh, trade right. for Tua. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two a two for Tua? Did you say? A trade for Tua. Oh, trade for Tua. For. Um. Yeah, that I I did ask Ron Rivera about that. You can listen to that, but uh, and I'll tell you briefly. He just kind of laughed and said, "No, we're not interested at all." I did ask him though. I said, "How involved will you be, um, and how involved will you guys be based on what happens the next two weeks?" The trade deadline in the NFL, which in recent years has become much more active. You know, I'm not saying it's you know you got buyer seller segments like you do with with the baseball trade deadline, but. I wonder if these next two games, if they don't go well and they're two and six, if they could be a seller. Like, the, I mean, let me give you an obvious name. Even though he's, you know, on a one year franchise tag deal, if somebody needs an interior offensive lineman and Brandon Sheriff Sheriff is healthy in two weeks, he could be traded. You're not going to get a shitload for him because of the contract. But a team, if they've got the space, they only have to pay it for this year. You know, so it's only a one-year deal, and then you got to worry about you know working out a long-term deal. But if a team's really in a bind, would they give up a a third or a fourth at the trade deadline for for Brandon Sheriff? Maybe the team's not going to be able to get a lot for him now. They have no leverage. Um, and and Wes Schweitzer is playing very well. I look Sheriff's biggest issue is availability in his career. Uh, he's still going to get paid. There's no way, despite uh, he could miss another six games this year, he is still going to get paid in the offseason. Okay, um, let's get to Washington uh, beats the Packers if, sort of some keys to the game. So first of all, I I would say that I actually am expecting, as I was last week and I was dead wrong. I wasn't wrong for a half. I actually think Washington's got a chance to cover in this game. Um, the smell test is coming up the line reeks it's come down there's major sharp money on Washington I told you yesterday I think with Tommy that I think the the numbers come down in part because of what uh, lies ahead for Green Bay they have a g- game on Thursday night at Arizona right now that could be one of the games of the year and then they follow that I think with the trip to Kansas City um to Arrowhead I think that's their next game I could be wrong about that but um Is it Kansas City? Yep, it is Kansas City. So uh, that's their next two games. So it's very possible that you know the Sharps are 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 on Washington because first of all, Green Bay played in a pretty physical, intense game last weekend against a rival, and then they've got the Arizona game. So this is really like you know a letdown spot, one of those key letdown opportunities. So I do think they have a chance for that reason to keep it close. I don't know how they'll do it, but let me give you a couple of reasons. Number one. They'll win or they'll keep it close. I should retitle this segment, Skins Cover If. There we go. When they're an underdog. Yes. When they're an underdog. Um, They've got to pressure Aaron Rodgers. I asked Ron Rivera uh, on the show about the way they've attempted to pressure this year so far. You know, last year, and Cooley, you'll hear Cooley talk about this coming up. Last year, Del Rio definitely schemed up more extra man pressures than he has this year. Washington, if you look at blitz numbers, and you're really into you know, all of the numbers that are out there wherever you, you, you get them, they're up there among the teams that blitz the most. But understand why the number is high. It's because they're playing a lot of five-man fronts, as we know. They didn't last week, but they've played a lot of five-man fronts with Ioannidis in there as their fifth. Well, when all five of those guys are moving forward, that's considered an extra man pressure. That's not a traditional blitz, though. I'm talking about some of the stuff that Del Rio did last year at times to really you know, wreak havoc on some of the quarterbacks they faced, which weren't as good, obviously, as the quarterbacks they're facing this year. But I did ask Ron, I said, how much have you blitzed this year versus last year? Because I knew what the answer would be, and he took it a step further, and he said – yeah, it's something Jack and I have talked about. we we got to figure out a way to generate more pressure. I think they're going to blitz more moving forward, and I think this is the, the the game in which it wouldn't surprise me if they do it. Now, when you pressure Aaron Rodgers, you better make sure you get there because if you've got a, fi- a legitimate five-man or six-man pressure coming, you better make sure that you get home or you're disruptive – if not, Devontae Adams is going to have, you know, a 10-catch, 200-yard day with three touchdowns. And, and and how will they cover behind that? And how will they be connected from a coverage standpoint behind that, by, behind that will be very crucial. Because if you're going to send pressure, you can't give him room. You can't give him a lot of room. But if you're too tight, uh, you know, he's going to throw some deep shots. But I think that's the better way to go. Make them connect on some of the deep shots. Get after them. Make the ball come out quickly. And let's see what happens. I am much more this week than last week in favor of if they're going to go down, go down swinging in a big way. You know, really come after Rodgers. By the way, I was looking this up. Rodgers has faced... Um, a, a very few number of blitzes this year, 29th in the league among starting quarterbacks in terms of facing the blitz. Number two, they've got to stop the run Sunday. And some of you might say, oh, they've been pretty good against stopping uh, at stopping the run. And it was one of the preseason things that I talked about. I thought it was really important that they become a better and more consistent run-stopping team. I don't really know what the numbers are necessarily because they're not terrible. I still am not convinced, though, that they're a good run-stopping team. And they may find out this week more than any other week because Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are averaging 4.6 yards per carry each. The Packers last week against the Bears ran the ball 31 times and only threw it 23 times. Aaron Rodgers was 17 of 23 last week for 195 yards. They rushed in Chicago for 154 yards. Jones and Dillon each, you know, they averaged combined 5.6 yards per carry. Green Bay does make an effort to be very balanced. I'm not sold yet on Washington being a good run-stopping team. And I'd hate to see a team like Green Bay decide we're gonna really run it against them because other teams have decided, well, we can easily throw it against them. Let's see what happens. Um, I hope that they can stop the run because I think Green Bay is going to try to run it a little bit. Now, if they are in that five-man front consistently, well, Green Bay's going to throw it. But I'd like to see more four-man front with more blitz pressure, traditional blitz pressure, exotic blitz pressure, however you want to describe it, and see if they can't stop the run. The other issue with Washington right when they're not a, not in a five-man front is they don't have real linebackers. They've got one real linebacker that's playing, that's Cole Holcomb, and the other one really is Landon Collins and that's if they're in that, you know, if they're in that 4-2, you know, 6 or if they're in that 5-1-5. Five, five. Uh, but I am not yet a believer that Washington's like a massively improved run-stopping team. Thirdly, Washington will cover against Green Bay if they make an honest effort to run the ball themselves. They've got to take some pressure off Taylor Heineke. I'm not saying run the ball for the sake of running the ball. If they can't run the ball, then throw it 40 times. Whatever works to move the football. They've got to move the football and score points in this game. But I really thought they could have run the ball a lot more last week, and they ended up with 40 throws or 39 throws and 19 runs. I actually think Washington can be a good rush offense. And I think in these games, when you're playing Mahomes and you're playing Aaron Rodgers, and in a few weeks you're playing against Tom Brady, you really need to try to shorten the game. You can shorten the game by throwing and using run extension throws, but I'd like to see Gibson, if he's healthy, and McKissick and Patterson, and by the way, Heineke himself, I'd like to see them really try to run the football. I think that they can run it a little bit this week, and if they can do that and shorten the game and take the pressure off Heineke, and then boot a little bit off of the run, which they tried last week in the second half. You know, even um, uh, Scott Turner did talk about get. You know, they made an effort in the second half last week to get Heineke out on the move a little bit. They did. Uh, I'd like to see him really make an honest effort to run the football. Um, lastly, Washington will cover against Green Bay. If they take advantage of, believe it or not, I bet you guys didn't know this, Green Bay's number one weakness, and that is they are a terrible kickoff coverage and punt coverage team. They're third worst in the league in kickoff coverage, 10th worst in the league in punt coverage. They're the only team that's in the bottom you know, bottom 10, Of both categories. And Washington's DeAndre Carter is a threat. You know, he has been a threat this year. Carter's in the top ten, top five uh, on kickoff returns. I think top eight on punt returns in terms of average. You know, this could be a big game changer this week. Special teams. I'm not going to mention the new kicker, Chris Blewett, because who the hell knows what we're going to get. Obviously, he can't blow it. But DeAndre Carter could be a, a factor. Now, I, I had a guy on Aaron from Green Bay on the radio show. And he, he heard me talking about it as we went into the interview with him. And he said, that is the big issue. We're, you know, uh, th- Packer fans are really concerned about their special teams and their kick units. And by the way, Mason Crosby missed three field goals in a game against the Bengals a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but um, here's the thing about kickoff coverage. Like you don't want DeAndre Carter to get too many opportunities on kickoff coverage on kickoff returns because it means that Green Bay's scoring. <laughs> you know, there's only way there's only one way to return a kick if a team hasn't scored, and that's at the beginning of the game or the beginning of the second half. Um. So anyway, or if they decide to kick off after a safety. Well, yeah. Some team, most teams punt. You you do have the option of ki- of kicking off, teeing it up, and kicking it off after a safety. There you go. couple of, of keys, uh, of the keys to beating the Packers. All right, let's get to the smell test for this week. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for, for the, the smell, smell test. test. Uh, seven and seven last week. It's three straight weeks, I think, of finishing 500. I am still under 500 for the year. we got a long way to go. I've not gotten into... Aaron, you know this, and Aaron's a gambler, obviously, and every single year with the smell test, what usually makes the difference in a winning year versus a losing year, which, again, 11 out of the 15 years I've done this have been winning years, is there will be a stretch during the season where I just go on a torrid streak. I think it was a couple of years ago, and I think you were here in the studio with me when I was doing it. There was was a stretch of like three or four weeks where – It was something like 35 and seven, or something like that. Um, And that basically meant there was almost zero possibility at that point of of losing for the year. Right. I haven't had that run. I actually thought last weekend was going to be that because I, at one point, I think I was six and two. Um, At one point on Saturday, ended up going seven and seven. I had the Giants, you know, that should have been a push, but the Cowboys got the touchdown in overtime. Um, there are gonna be some familiar names on the smell test this week, and I can't help it. You know, I'm you know, as Cooley would say, you know, you gotta you know, you gotta hit sixteen against ten. Sorry. It's painful, um, but there's a way to play this and it's my way, and I'm sticking with it. Let's start with Saturday, where uh where Army is plus three uh in a game on Saturday afternoon against Wake Forest. For those of you not following college football, Wake Forest is undefeated. They are ranked 15th in the nation. They have a terrible defense. And Army last week played Wisconsin and actually played them close. And Wisconsin's got a very good defense. And I think Army is a super short favorite in this game. And there, there, by the way, is plenty of sharp money on Army. Wake Forest is the public play here. And so Army's the first play plus the three against Wake. But the, um, the interesting thing about this game is that Army coming off a game in which they didn't rush it the way they typically do because Wisconsin's defense was good, I think people are like, oh, they're going to have – it's going to be a, a, a breath of fresh air because they're going to be able to run their triple option shit to death on Wake Forest. I'd be surprised if Army doesn't put up 300-plus yards of rushing on Wake and shorten the game and end up in a game in which they score no less than 24-27. or 27. Every single one of Wake's games have been 37-34, 40-37. I had Syracuse against them a couple of weeks, and it got it, uh, we got it done in overtime in a 40-37 to 37 game. Army, plus three. Next up is a team I've given out a couple of times this year, Aaron, and I hate giving them out because I think their quarterback, Mertz, stinks. But Wisconsin's a three-point favorite in West Lafayette against a Purdue team that went to Iowa City last week and destroyed the number two team in the country. How is Wisconsin a three-point favorite in this game? Well, nobody knows, and that's why I'll have Wisconsin again. I don't think they've gotten it right once for me. Meantime, Iowa State is laying seven to undefeated Oklahoma State top ten team Iowa State hasn't beaten anybody good. They got run by Iowa, remember, early in the season. How are they a seven point favorite over Oklahoma State? That one makes no sense whatsoever. I'll take Iowa State and lay the seven. This is one of the bigger public sides of the week. Public wondering how can I, how is it possible that I'm going to be able to get the number nine team in the country? undefeated as a seven-point dog against a team that's not even ranked. Um, Then, Aaron, guess who is on the smell test this week? Our Terps. I like Maryland this week. Public really likes Minnesota. Minnesota had a win last week over Nebraska. I'm upset I didn't give Minnesota out last week because I played them personally. Uh, Minnesota also beat Purdue. Um, uh, th- their last two wins are over Purdue and Nebraska. Nebraska had nearly beaten Michigan the week before they beat Purdue before Purdue upset Iowa. And they're only laying five against the Terps tomorrow in Minneapolis. I'll take Maryland plus the five, you know, for Maryland, this is not going to be Iowa or Ohio state that they're facing. Uh, I like the Terps plus the five, even with all their injuries, and they have several. Uh, lastly, on Saturday, Air Force. I gave them out last week. I liked them uh, last week, uh, and they won outright. I like them again this week plus the three against an undefeated San Diego State team. That line is super short. Uh, the public's on San Diego State. I'll take Air Force plus the three. I think I had, I think I had San Jose last week. No, I played San Jose last week against San Diego State. Right. Didn't, didn't San Jose last week cover against San Diego State? Yes, I believe that's the case. Yeah, because I, that was a Friday night game. I had Cal last week in the smell test. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, I, and then I bet San Jose State late. Yes, they lost in overtime to San Diego yeah. State last week, and I had them like plus double digits. Um, all right, so th- there's your college. Sunday, I'm just going to give them to you real quickly. Three bad teams. Washington plus the seven and a half by to eight. The Jets plus the th- uh, the seven, um, and the Giants plus the three. Two, three terrible teams. Let me give you a, a, a little bit of information on it. Uh, you're – probably not going to take these games because they're such bad teams and I give you bad teams a lot the Jets are getting seven in Foxborough they got run by the Patriots in the opener Um, Washington's getting you know we've already talked about that seven and a half at Lambeau the public thinks the number should be 10 which is where they started lots of sharp money on Washington and the Giants at this point shouldn't be a short three-point dog against anybody and they are against Carolina at home and the public loves the Panthers so there you go There. Here's your smell test for the week. Uh, repeating the picks: Army, Wisconsin, Iowa State, Maryland, and Air Force tomorrow. The Skins, Jets, and Giants on Sunday. Done. Who do you like? Do you like any of those games?
2: I, I Air Force is my favorite play of the weekend. I love Air Force. Actually, the one game I, I, I was kind of jotting down, I was
1: picking which ones I was going to have. Well, I was pretty. Murray little, does that every week. Yeah,
2: there's there's one I was a little surprised you didn't have.
1: UCLA overworked. I have that written down. I've got – there were several others I liked. I like I like UCLA. Um, I like Navy, actually, against Cincinnati a little bit. Uh, I like Cal laying a big number against Colorado. I like Vandy this week. They're terrible, and they're getting less than three touchdowns. Um, there were a couple others, Toledo, Miami of Ohio, and Nevada. They all – Miami almost made the list. Miami's only a three-point dog against NC State. I actually think NC State's a good team, uh, and that they, the action's more split than I would have expected. Yeah, in that game, Georgia Tech too is a, a team to keep an eye on. UVA won in the, uh, on a last second you know touchdown two weeks ago, and then they blew out Duke last week. And I think Tech's a capable team. These are these are sides I will have, but I gave you the official place. Uh, last thing before Cooley, how about Chris Taylor last night for the Dodgers? Unbelievable! Unbelievable. Yeah. Three home runs. The Dodgers stay alive. And I just wanted to mention for those Nats fans that are watching the Dodgers because of Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Trey Turner, finally, last night, he was hitting 182 going into the game. He was three for four last night, hitting second, by the way, with no Justin Turner in the lineup. They, they mixed up their lineup. But Chris Taylor, who had the walk-off in the wild-card game against the Cardinals, three home runs last night. Uh, in a do-or-die game for the Dodgers, uh, it was incredible. Um, I'm looking forward to the baseball tonight and tomorrow night. I hope that both. I hope both series get to a seventh and deciding game. That would
2: be fun. That that would be a lot of fun. And Dodgers. I mean, it, it just shows you what this Dodgers team is. That even though they're on the brink of a low nation, still plus one nine, just plus one ninety to win the series. Were
1: they plus one ninety before last
2: night? No, no. They they'd gotten higher than that for last okay. night, but at this point, it's plus one ninety.
1: Yeah, down 3-2 in a series, you rarely see that. Although, no one has ever been the favorite to win the World Series that had to play a wild card game. And and they were. Yep. All right, uh, Chris Cooley next to finish up the show. All right, Cooley's with us uh, here on this uh, Friday football show. Um, God, you know what? I'm not going to do that because what if something great happens in the game tonight? No, whatever. We're not going to talk about the game from tonight. Here we go. Three things, the intro. Three, two, one. Cooley's with us uh, here on, the, on this Friday. Uh, quick update. What happened last week down in Jackson Hole?
4: Oh, we lost a close one,
1: 21-17. Oh, that is a close one. Any uh, any big issues in the game?
4: Yeah, we lost, uh, lost a tight end for this week who's a good player. Um, when you lose a tight end, you also lose a defensive end. Uh, one of our best receivers hurt his ankle. He should be okay. Uh, we're just not deep, so those could be real issues. No, here's the, like, the amazing thing about where we're at, and this could happen anywhere, I guess, but Wyoming's divided into east and west. We're in the west um we've played a couple of teams in the east we've actually played the number one team in the east douglas Wyoming, and beat them we would win this if we won this week we'd get a four seed a four seed I, I thought would really be a problem but it would actually send us to douglas a team that we beat 17-0 for our first game it's wild we could actually make it through the playoffs as four seed all the way to the championship
1: oh, wh- but we could oh, also not wait no. a minute hold on for one second How many teams make the playoffs, six? Eight. Eight. So as a four seed, you'd play the five. No, no.
4: No, we would play the one seed from the west. Oh. Or the east.
1: Okay. I see. All right. So we would play
4: the one seed from the east, and then you would play the winner of the two seed from the east and the three seed from – the West or flip flop, vice versa.
1: But you have to beat so Evanson to
4: qualify. Avoid, yeah, we have to beat Evanson. <laughs> but we would avoid playing Cody, who is the best team in the state, it, it, somehow until the state championship. So it, it, it's better to be the. Four seed than the three seed. If you want to go to the state championship, Got at it. least in my opinion.
1: All right. Well, good. It sounds then, se- then, it sounds like it's set up perfectly for you guys to get it together yeah. with a win against Evanston and then a win against Douglas in the first round, and then and then a, you s- then you're ready for the semifinal game. That's awesome. There you go. How long did it take you to it's, get to uh, Jackson Hole last week?
4: Uh, about five hours.
1: Okay. Were you able to use the uh, use about, the Yellowstone I was with my
4: pass?
1: We used Yellowstone Park.
4: We saw two grizzly bears. We saw a moose. We saw a bunch of elk. We saw a hundred buffalo. The kids loved it. We had fun.
1: Awesome. How is it going so, um, with Steve from Garland Light and Power?
4: Amazing. Steve's terrific to work with. I'm <laughs> I love that you're interested
1: in this. Well, I'm just let me tell here's, everybody. Here's, okay, here's go a, You well, tell everybody I why tell I asked. Everybody. Yeah.
4: So I am building a shop. With a house in it, it's common here. um, So common that people actually term it a shouse, shop house.
1: (laughs) A shouse. (laughs)
4: Building a shouse. Yeah. For the time being, with a apartment for my mom in the shouse, it'll be nice. It's coming along, and I'm I'm to the wiring. And you asked me if I could do the show tomorrow, and I said no. I I have to be there to oversee the wiring process with Steve from Garland Light and Power. But I told you, um, I've already dug. A 200 foot trench with a mini excavator and ran all the wire, and we had to run it. In. Here's the amazing thing about Wyoming. Uh, I just
1: at don't least know why rural you Rural Wyoming,
4: not yeah. in town. Well, so I'd I have some help with some of it. It's not hard to run a wire, like run a trench and bury a wire. Okay. I, I had my electric locates and all my locates. Before you dig, you know, you got to call Miss Utility in Virginia. I don't know what Maryland is, but we did that and we got all the trenches run and. And um, I, I'm amazed because they said, "Well, you got to make sure you get permitted for that. It's not the town, so you, it's, it's an easier permit." Dude, like, buyer beware in rural Wyoming. You can apply for your own permit, and you can be your own electrician. Top start to finish on any project, any house, any home, rural Wyoming.
1: What do you have to What bucks. do you have to do to get the permit? Don't you have to pass some tests? Took
4: me longer. No, no, took me longer to get my login. To get the permit, than to get the permit. <laughs> you literally click on the permit you want, you pay the $50, boom, immediate permit sent to your email.
1: Is your buddy an electrician the guy that's helping you or not? Yeah, he is. He is. Yeah, okay, he's, Jesus, he's, God. He's I mean, my stop, from Alaska, stop being Mr. Do It Yourself on things that actually you could really hurt yourself on, like electricity. I, I don't know what. I'm wh- not going to hurt myself. God, you, you trust, know. What? Just trust me on this. I like to play
4: this. I'm doing it all myself, but I got help.
1: Yeah, I do a lot of it myself. Yeah, I know you really do like to do a lot of it, and it's not because you can't afford to pay other people to do it.
4: I'm am so, so good at drywall right now.
1: Oh God, you're so free. You know
4: this this will this is this will be another interesting thing for you in Wyoming or maybe other mountain states. I don't know versus the D.C. area. I like to call it, you know, when I talk about home. <laughs>
1: uh, that was good. That was very inside. So I'm going to explain it to everybody. So Chris and I used to, I used to say, you don't live in D.C. I mean, when you live in Leesburg. I understand that it's still part of the DMV, technically. But when you live way out in western Loudoun County, no offense, but you're really not getting the Washington, D.C. metro area experience. So he always kind of disagreed with me on that. But over the years, what I've noticed is when Chris tells somebody where he's from, he doesn't say he's from D.C. Like, even when I've lived in suburban Maryland a lot of my life, I've lived in D.C. and suburban Maryland, and now I'm back in D.C., I always say I'm from Washington, D.C. If somebody asks me if I'm out of town, where are you from? I say, I'm from D.C. Oh, really? Where do you live? Oh, I live in Bethesda. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, right outside. Uh, but I always say I'm from D.C. Chris always says back, you know, Back from where I'm from or where I lived in Virginia. I, if somebody asked Northern him,
4: I, I usually
3: say northern No, you Virginia. say
1: Virginia. You just, if somebody says, where Where do you live, you say Virginia. You don't say D.C. And you shouldn't say D.C. Well, when
4: I moved to Virginia, it wasn't the DMV.
1: Well, that's not. Well, okay, whatever. Anyway, that's the, that's the, the subject. Nobody, ca- anyway, nobody cares the, about the, that.
4: Just, nobody cares about any of this. Yeah. So let's move on to what you want to talk about. Oh, actually, this is what I want to talk about. This, this is, I think, the segment that I want to be a part of, and I'm going to lay it out like this. You asked me what questions you should ask Ron, and in your interview with your little radio station that you do, not a podcast.
1: <laughs> and, right. Yeah.
4: And... um it, it's funny because it's like I could say anything because I'm not interviewing Ron and I literally thought about it as we talked about it my wife always tells me what I should ask somebody or how I should ask somebody like hey can you tell this guy this this way and I I'm like that's aggressive and in asking what you should ask Ron I was giving you the most aggressive possible yeah.
1: question. well they You're
4: were like yeah I, I can't, I can't say that Chris I'm too
1: scared of him I, well first of all i never would respond that way and i didn't respond that way but first of all you weren't giving me your you I, I said hey i gotta interview ron and um for the show tomorrow and i said what do you you know you got any ideas and you said yeah ask him how he got the name riverboat like he's anything but riverboat ask him How'd you get the name Riverboat? Because you're re- you really I mean you you don't ge- do you know that you have to hit a sixteen against a jack? I mean what? Come on, like give me a real question.
3: No, but the point the point I was trying to give you
4: <laughs> the real question, and that is, you don't always make the right gambling decisions. You oftentimes make the wrong decisions when it comes to what would be considered a gamble. He never makes the blackjack analytic decision. I'm sure of that. It's always the gut decision. So he is the guy that frustrates you at the casino. And I said, ask him what he does. (laughs) You, You have a 13 and the dealer also shows 13. What do you do? And you said, I'm sure he's never played blackjack.
1: Well, I don't know if he's played blackjack or not. I, I I think but he's that guy that he's well, that guy the, that goes Yeah, he, he's yeah, the, I, I, I will hit that I got a feeling. I got a feeling. I got a feeling. I'm going to hit it. You got I'm going to hit it. You got at least
4: a <laughs> you got a 6 7 or 8 under there. I know it. You're going to turn over at least 19. I got to get to the game's 21, guys. Got to get 21. It's
1: much more frustrating by the way. Much more is is the flip side when you get somebody who, you know, has you know, fifteen. Stays on 13 versus has versus fifteen a versus a nine and won't take the card, which you you've got to do. Um, to me, that's much more frustrating. But I, you know, I've told you this before. When I'm in a casino, unless I'm really in a special part of the casino. I don't get frustrated with players that don't know how to play. I mean, if you're sitting in a casino on the regular floor and playing at like a 25 or a $50 minimum table, you're going to get a lot of players that don't know how to play. That's not, that's not the point of Vegas. do Not everybody knows how to do it. No, not everybody knows basic blackjack strategy. They're, they're, they're there to have a good time. There's nothing wrong with that. And by the way, it really doesn't change the odds for you at all. So it doesn't matter. Anyway, no, we, it
4: doesn't change the odds for you. But the reason I thought of this is because when you have ten minutes left in a football game, I
1: know you're frustrated with that call. Let's go to that. Let's cut to the chase. Patrick
4: Mahomes yeah. is on. Patrick Mahomes is on the other side of the ball. You are you are looking at a twenty, and you have a thirteen. You, you have to
1: get more. Yeah.
4: <laughs> to get more cards. Yeah. You, you can't just end your possession right there. It, it just doesn't. It doesn't work that way.
1: The four, I mean, fourth it's, and eight. Like that's, fourth that that and eight. A, That's yeah. like the
4: dude that's sitting there, and you're like, "Dude, it, 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 he's got 20.
1: <laughs> it's even worse.
4: It's like he's got an ace up. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, Do you want insurance? Uh, no, we never take insurance. <laughs> but I'll, I'll still stay on this thirteen, and I'm I'm the guy next to him. Like, yeah, there's just a lot of cards he could draw to. And, and yeah, then but then it, and then it's that But you'd have really Ron. You'd have off, you'd have like, Ron doubling while, down once in a while. <laughs> no. Once, once every blue moon dealer's got ace, and then it's like, ooh, ace two, and then ten, you're like, okay, now duck, one more, and then one more four, big and one you're like sixteen, and then, and then you're
1: like, one more big one
4: big one monkey,
1: yeah <laughs> um I,
4: I, like, I but that was like that's my
1: question, and the, the riverboat it. thing that's yeah. not
4: a, that's the opposite of a gamble that is playing it uber safe, thinking you're gonna get a stop,
1: yeah. Fourth and That's eight, name, fourth yeah. and eight, ten and a half minutes to go from their own forty-five. Down twenty-four, thirteen. Cooley was incensed that he didn't go for it. I felt the same way. I'm totally with you on that. Um, and you, you, you're, you're down two possessions, and it's Mahomes, and they've scored on their last two uh, drives. Uh, they've scored touchdowns, so it's not like you're going to get it back. You know, you're not. You're not getting two more stops in this game. So you've got to score on this one and pray that you can get one stop in the game. Um, But they haven't been able to get many at all. What did you think of the Hopkins release?
4: Well, I I don't think they have any trust in Well, One, I'm concerned about every extra point at this this point in the season. But two, there's been a lot of instances where you have a 53, 54, 55-yard field goal and you're not willing to kick it. And into the point where a week ago it's like, well, there's a crosswind. Like, dude, I'm watching guys in this league kick sixty yarders consistently. Not everyone, but you got you have to have a, a kicker that can hit a fifty five yard field goal. That that in the NFL today is a is a must. You have to know that if you send him out there, you're eighty percent on a fifty five yard field goal. And the reason they're not sending them out is because they don't think he can make it. I, I, I like Dustin. I think Dustin's been great. I'm sure he'll get a job. But you got to know he's going to make that kick, and it doesn't seem like they do. And so they'll just get someone who blows it. It
1: <laughs> blew it. Yeah. Um, he might blow it. Hopefully he won't. Um, yeah, to me, it was the 42-yarder on Sunday. You can't miss a 42-yarder. The truth is they were going to lose this game, but in the moment when he missed the 42-yard field goal – they were going to have a 16-10 to 10 lead midway through the third quarter. and
4: What, what was that fourth and what at the 42-yard Well, they, That it was, was the, another one.
1: It was fourth and six because they had the four-yard loss. That's another one where you're like – No, <sighs> no, I thought they should have kicked the yeah, field goal no, there. No, no,
4: no, I get you, but I just always look at how other people play the Chiefs, and you still have to find a way. In my opinion, when you play Kansas City, you, you do need to find a way to score 30. Right. And – and if you're not, at some, I mean, is you can't you can't bet on him continuing to turn the ball over. And that's a lot of the ways you get stops against them is a couple turnovers or perhaps a big sack on a drive. But you got to expect that on a large percentage of their drives, they're they're going to score points. Let's and score let's play let's play
1: this out. Let's play this out. Okay, you and I are on the sidelines. We're coaching the team together, and we talked about before the game. We're going to be aggressive. We need 30 in this game to win it, but. After a first half in which Kansas City was tripping all over themselves and Washington, you know, was right there with the lead 13 to 10. And you get a stop to open up the third quarter. And by the way, the stop included one of the two sacks that Chase Young has on the entire season so far. And they punted it back to you and you've moved the football down there. And on a third and two, you take a four yard loss at their 24 yard line. We're 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 talking to each other on the sideline, and I and I say to you, I know what we were talking about before this game, but that's a bad play on third down. We just tell them. I think we should kick the field goal and go up by six. What 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 what, what would your answer be given that context?
4: All the tens are out of the deck. We got low cards now. <laughs> we're we're in the negative. In our
1: ca- in our card counting, ca- car we're, in, we're in negative numbers. All the
4: things went in our favor. Were so negative. we're not sitting down at the, the table. table? we got to
1: wait for another table where we get a positive yeah, let's, count? Let's, 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 let's wait for an issue. Seriously, here. answer the question okay. the right but way but so people like, understand. I I, do
4: I, I, okay. When I, I think I kick it there. Okay. I think it's an interesting decision to go up six there is, is, is big. But I also – in. Not in the back, in the front of, in the front of my thought process, think the likelihood that they score and go ahead on the next drive is still very high. And how many times am I going to get a possession into that side of the field or potential to score seven points?
1: I understand that. I, like, look I, at
4: the way Harbaugh coaches against them every single time.
1: I know. He, it's
4: the one team he takes every risk to score seven and not three because he knows. He has to get to 30.
1: Look, if the 3rd and 2 play produced a 1-yard gain and it's 4th and 1, or if it produced an incomplete pass and it's 4th and 2, I'm going for it. It produced a 4-yard loss and now it's 4th and 6. I'm just saying that in that moment, because I felt this way in the moment, kick it. Take the 6-point lead. And I think that's what really ended I
4: understand. Oh yeah, it did end.
1: I think that was it for Hopkins because you can't I mean you 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 wanted to be aggressive maybe in this game. You understood that you had to score touchdowns and it's like we're passing on going for fourth and 6 because it's a chip shot field goal and we're going to have a 6-point lead and he hooked it badly. Uh that's it. We right. don't we I cannot trust in you anymore.
4: No. I I I feel that's probably a big part of why I got cut, but it's also that they didn't really trust in him going into that kick.
1: Yeah. I don't think they expected him to miss a 42 yarder.
4: They didn't expect to miss a 42 yarder, but they also don't, they don't think he's going to make a 53 yarder.
1: The week before before, that's true. Although he certainly got the leg for a 53 yarder.
4: Uh, The leg is one thing, but they, you also are, are watching him kick twice a week in practice, understanding Uh, maybe he is hooking a lot of balls right now. Yeah.
1: Um, so Taylor Heineke this week, I um, on the podcast on the radio show I I, I came to m- my declaration on Taylor Heineke. You know how I felt about him. I want I just wanted to see more. He intrigued me. Intrigued you too. Um, I certainly, if I was forced to bet it, you know, at the beginning of the year or even after the Tampa game, I would have bet against him being, you know, any sort of long-term solution. But with that said, I wanted to see more. After the game on Sunday, I just immediately, the, the game Sunday followed by the game against the Saints, this guy's a backup quarterback in the NFL, period. So that's that. And I don't know that I want to see Kyle Allen at all. Um, but I am convinced that if Ryan Fitzpatrick were healthy this week, he would be starting at Green Bay. What do you think?
4: Well, from everyone that I've talked to, which and I don't know a ton of people that are still in that facility, is that through camp it wasn't even close with Fitzpatrick and, and Heineke. Right. That Fitzpatrick was was for sure the guy. Maybe he struggled early in OTAs and stuff. But as they got through camp, that they really, they really were glad that they had gotten Fitzpatrick. Um, Look, I think Heineke's limited. I said this to you before the Atlanta game. I know no one wanted to hear that he's limited. Um, He had the big game against Tampa in the playoffs, but we've walked through that game. A a majority of his plays were on one concept. And the the next bulk were on the next concept. It wasn't this versatile offense. It was just ways to get to one concept. That will survive you a game when you don't know the quarterback you're playing. That will not survive you a season. Now, I do think that they could continue. There's stuff I like about Heineke, and I think he's a gamer. And yeah. The more they get to know each other and feel comfortable, to understand going into a game plan, what do you like, how do you feel, what situations do you want, certain things, the better he'll be. But to say he's more than the Colt McCoy, I think that's a, that's a better comparison. It's, it's kind of Colt McCoy.
1: Yeah, I think that I—I actually, I, think really, I actually well, think I—I well, I would what trust you? Heineke more as the backup than Colt. I think he's a better playmaker. I think he's a much better athlete.
4: You never liked Colt
1: just because everybody thought he should start over your friend. well i mean that's a joke obviously that he should have started over my friend but i know a lot of people
4: didn't think it was a joke and and i know i did you usually have thick skin but one got you a little bit
1: (laughs) so let me just tell you something that taylor heineke said yesterday in his presser and when i say yesterday it's because we're we're uh recording chris here on thursday um for tomorrow's podcast as in today's podcast as you're listening to it on friday um he said that uh, that essentially when you consider the last two games, he said he's been trying to be too perfect, trying to make the perfect read every play, and it hasn't allowed him to be who he is. It hasn't allowed him to be at his best. And he said it's something we've talked about. And, you know, he said, I don't want to say that we're making a change, change, but uh, but maybe just have a different mentality going into every play. Um, And then there was one more quote. Hold on, let me pull it up. Um, He just said, you know, for me to be the guy that I have to be, I can't overthink it. I just have to play football like I have my whole life. So... There's clearly something off of that game last week. They didn't, he, he didn't run. He, he didn't use his athleticism at all. You know, there were some uh, concepts in the second half where I thought that Turner's play calling got him out on some boots a little bit more and got him out of, uh, out of the pocket, and they got to some quick game. But he didn't rush once against Kansas City. He didn't scramble one time. So I think he's frustrated because I think these guys have put the reins on him a little bit. I mean, maybe, that'll, that maybe that means he's going to play much looser and freer and they're okay with that at Green Bay.
4: Yeah, I think that when he plays free and loose, he, he seems to be more comfortable. We talked about his ability to make some plays out of the pocket. But I also, in my this is what you should ask Ron, after the riverboat thing, said, what is Scott Turner's process for a game plan? How is he putting it together, and how is he setting things up as he goes through the game? Because in watching the last couple of games pretty closely, it, it really doesn't have this feel of, man, we got them into quarters so we could hit this play-action shot, and we knew we would get them into quarters because we have run this formation or this variation of it two or three times plus what we would seen on film in the past. And when you set things up in that fashion – And I'm not saying Scott's not trying to. I have no idea what his process is or what he's going through. But when you set things up over a two, three, four series, five series full game, and you get into the third quarter, and you say to your quarterback, hey, when we go with this run action pass, you're going to get quarters here. So your read's going to be, boom, this safety. He cuts it, take it over the top. He plays off, boom, underneath. Then your quarterback plays a lot freer versus – full readout of coverage, which is what I think Heineke's doing on almost every play is truly trying to not just pre-snap but post-snap read every coverage. I think it's hard. I think it's hard for uh, for a young quarterback to not be put in a position where, at least on a lot of the shot plays, you have a general consistent sense of what you're getting in the back end on the other side.
1: How often, and I'll just use Kyle as an example, really, really good offensive coordinator, how often were you setting up in your play calling early in the game for something big later on in the game? How often was that part of, of the plan? And then, B, how often, what percentage of the time did you actually get to it with you know, the game context not dictating a different you know, course of action once you got into the game? You understand I the question, right? I
4: always had a plan. Yes, very, very well. And I think it was, it was perfectly asked. Okay. So, Kyle, and that's exactly what you should ask Ron. Kyle would always have a plan. And my favorite thing about Kyle was, was the Saturday night, 15, 20 minute walk through exactly what the plan was with our entire offense and in utter confidence of how it was drawn up, how it would work perfectly, how we would excel. It was never, we got to do our job. If we don't do our job, this bad thing could happen. If you don't need it, it was always, Pierre's going to knock this dude on his ass. We're going to run to the edge. We're going to get this done. We're going to come back. We're going to go with this boot. Coolie will cut it back to the backside. It'll be wide open. We'll hit that for 30. We'll come back. CP will. It was like, boom, 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 boom. Now, how often did it work out? There was a lot of second halves where, especially early with Donovan, which is a new quarterback, and as we kept changing quarterbacks that we got into a base day one, two, three install from camp because we couldn't run some of the initial stuff. So it was aborted. It was aborted a lot, 50%. But it wasn't aborted because he wanted to. I, I don't think it was aborted because at, once you get into the third quarter then what you've tried to set up has accomplished nothing, then you've set up nothing, and now you're stuck running. Let's try to run our, our base stuff. Let's try to get yards there. And when you consistently are running that base stuff, here's another good example. Jim Zorn, in that offense, stuck with pure base. And week in and week out, same look, same formations, base stuff, and it was out-execute them. Dude, it is really hard to run nine plays with simple stuff and just continue to out-execute. If you don't have guys breaking tackles or making bigger plays, it's really hard when they aren't challenged by alignment assignment their position that like it's really hard when you're not challenging them that way
1: yeah that that just so, seems like so you know 30 years ago right i mean i remember you telling me that that about zorn but joe wasn't that way right joe was setting things up even though he wanted to play no, joe joe was, go joe, ahead
4: yeah joe joe we were limited in bulk of offense but week in and week out, we had 10 different formations, motion shifts to get to the same stuff, to set up the same stuff. Right. And we, we did. But that, uh, you know, and that, that would have been the 30 years ago, is let's stay limited. But now defenses adjust so fast. And the other thing that's really tough, I think, is is 30 years ago, there might have been pictures, but there's not the immediate Right. surface access to, okay, when they shift this here, this is the two things. Like, It's a lot easier to go back when you're watching it on film immediately. So you have to have that consistent build of offense where you're showing them different looks.
1: Uh, switch subjects real quickly. So, um, you know, there was, there's was there been conversation, obviously, about how bad the defense was. I actually personally, we didn't talk about this. Um, I'm not talking about it on the podcast, but earlier in the week. I thought the offense personally was more responsible for the loss Sunday to Kansas City than the defense was. As bad as the defense was... You can't score 13 points and get 276 yards against a team allowing 32.6 and 437 yards a game. I I put that on the offense. Do you agree or disagree? We didn't talk about this earlier in the week.
4: I I really don't think the defense is a standout baller defense, but I think they played as well as could have been expected in that game. I think they gave them a chance. And all you're hoping for is to maybe have a fourth-quarter shootout with Kansas City in a lot of situations, which I think – you score a couple more times and you're in that position. Right. I, I don't. I don't think the defense was like impressed me to say, "Wow, look what they did against Kansas City," because Mahomes threw a couple picks and that helped him out. But I don't think they were as bad as as you might make it out to be. No, I no, think, no.
1: I I think no. I'm, i I I, you. Gave, I, you I, I gave I gave the offense. Okay, no, I know that, but I I gave the offense the bulk of the blame. But I kind of felt the same way you did. It's like okay, they gave up 500 yards and 31 points, and Kansas City converted on 11 of 16 third downs. Am I crazy to think that the defense wasn't the worst that it's been all year? So I kind of felt the same way. Um, here's... I don't think
4: they tackled well, and I think that... Oh, not, yeah, they example, did not tackle well. Like, they, like, as far as giving stuff up, not. but then the tackling, I think, was what really was a problem for them. And, and the... It's tough, you know, but, like, three-kill, if he jukes you out of your shoes, I got – yeah, if he burns you, whatever. But when you get your hands on him, like, you got to get that dude down.
1: Well, you certainly have to get Jarek McKinnon down when you have him five yards short of the first down. I mean, you got to do that. And Kendall Fuller didn't do that. And Jackson had major issues. And, you know, let's face it, the front four – I I, I went off a little bit earlier this week. I just don't want to hear PFF numbers on anybody anymore. I don't want to hear about hurries. I don't want to hear about, you know, pressures. I understand that sacks aren't the end-all be-all. But, you know, you've had people out there trying to make the case that Chase Young's having a very good year. He's not having a very good year. He just isn't. John Allen, to me, is having a good year. Like every week, John Allen seems to be. First of all, I think he gets doubled and chipped more than anybody on their defensive line. Maybe not last week; Chase got doubled a lot last week. But um, anyway, uh, that's what I think. I, a I mean, good,
4: a, a good year is for a guy like that is twelve plus sacks.
1: Well, yeah, he's got two through six and games, and you know, hasn't know, made a he, he's not, not like made an impact that play four that you or five sack he hasn't made one impact play that you could say, "Wow, that really was important to, in the game." Not one sack, fumble a week ago. Okay, great. Uh, th- that's fine. And one, and, and one play, th- th- there it is. You just you, you nailed it. Um, the uh, but the, the thing that I wanted to get to was Landon Collins. So Ron Rivera said yesterday, we've had con- conversations with Landon. Landon is a downhill in the box player. Like, you know, Ron said earlier in the week, I'm changing my I may have to change my approach, which, by the way, will be part of the questions to Ron um, in my interview with him for the radio show tomorrow morning. And, you know, he cut the kicker. I don't know if cutting the kicker really sends a message, but he basically had a conversation where Landon said, well, I like playing safety. And Ron said, yeah, but you're you're an in the box downhill player, as in (laughs) as in you're a linebacker. And really, coolly, if, if a player never plays the safety position and is in the box the entire game, he is a linebacker.
4: <laughs> so, Landon, here's what you're really good at. You're really good at playing down in the box and flat. We'd like you to play down in the box and flat. Hook curl, on occasion, if we have to. We're going to try to keep you out of man-to-man coverage against average tight ends or better. Try against no receivers. If you cover back every once in a while, maybe uh, try to play leverage. Keep outside contained to flat. And and the missed tackle thing, we got we got to fix that too. I mean, if we're gonna be in the box, we can't miss any tackles. Yeah, no, he's really struggling, and maybe that is a personality complex of who he wants to be. But uh, like, it's a, it's also a, a defense that I think. That Ron really reached on Jamin Davis, and he is not performing.
1: I thought he played I, much I, I better last been, week.
4: Better, but I just don't. I think he right now is a massive liability in terms of scheme and what they're trying to do, and his eyes and what he's seen and his flow of the ball. And I, I, he's not the next Luke Kuechly, like Rivera would have said, at least this far into his career. But in saying that, like Landon Collins could be that guy. Like he can be a weak side backer for right now. That might not be a bad situation, or or you're just playing that like five one five, and he's your extra backer. Right. Because really, I mean, they want to be in that five front as much as they can.
1: They weren't so in it at all last week.
4: With, well, and that's Kansas City, and right. you're saying if they do run it a bunch, then I guess we'll we'll try to stop them with our four studs, but we got to be we got to be back. How do you I think they want to be in that?
1: How do you think they'll play Green Bay?
4: I think that they have to play Green Bay a little bit more aggressively. The teams that really have had success against Green Bay have put pressure on Aaron Rodgers. But my, my my other question was for you was, shoot, I thought Del Rio had really some exotic blitzes, some five six-man pressures, some secondary pressures throughout last year where they had free runners. And I was impressed that it's really the first time I've seen in a while a Washington defense have free runners, free hitters to the quarterback. So far this year, it's been that five-man front to try to get pressure, and they just they haven't. Right. So, like, at what point do you make that adjustment where, hey, let, let's start trying to put some of these pressures in?
1: Is this, and, and is this the week?
4: I mean, some of that could be it, probably.
1: Does Devontae Adams end up with 10 catches for 216 yards and four touchdowns if you don't get he home? does a lot of weeks. He's, he's, he's very capable of that. I mean, if you if you if you start sending six man pressures and you don't get home, uh, Devontae Adams is going to eat either Fuller or Jackson alive. He may do it anyway. Man, he's good, and he's good. There's no doubt that he's going to eat. Why in- he
4: stay at the soft and
1: zone? All right, you're starting. Your phone's starting to break up. Um.
4: Oh, so yeah, it did. It connected to my car. But so Aaron Rodgers is is going to eat you alive, uh, whatever way you play him, without pressure. And Aaron Mahomes does this, but Aaron does it as well as anything, as as well as anybody. Is he puts balls where you don't quite expect them, or you haven't seen them, and you can't always get that look in practice where maybe you've got a guy that you think's covered and all of a sudden the ball's in and you're going, dang. Had to be a perfect throw to get that in, but that's what Aaron does. So without pressure, you he's going to beat you one way or another. Nothing.
1: All right, good luck tomorrow night uh, with that big game that you've got against, who is it again? Appreciate it. Evanston. Evanston. Run the Go get away. him and get that four so seed. Fun. I'll talk to you over the weekend. See Jeff. you. All right, that was Cooley. Uh, thanks to Cooley. Thanks to Neil and Rockville. It was great to have Aaron in studio with us. Uh, let's leave with just a prediction. I'll let you predict any game that you've got a strong feeling about this weekend. I'll give you Washington loses to Green Bay 23-16. to I leaned under last week, too, even though I kept talking about a high-scoring game. But the action was all on the over. More, uh, I think, action on the over as well this week. I'll go under and Green Bay without a cover. Twenty three sixteen, Green Bay. By the way, Washington gets Denver a week from Sunday. Now, now, Denver will have the long rest after last night, but they looked awful last night. <laughs> They're not a good team right uh, now. Uh, no, they are not a good team right now. I think we're going to see Drew Locke before long. <sighs> Uh, all right, well, give me give me the predict, the prediction that you feel best about. You've talked about something on the show or told Tim something this week that you love. What is it? Uh, you know what? I'm looking at Sunday night football
2: right now. I love the Colts in that spot. I think the 49ers defense is still getting too much credit. They're a mess right now. Jonathan Taylor is running as well as anybody uh, in the entire NFL right now. I think Indianapolis wins outright. I'll take the plus four, but it wouldn't shock me if they win
1: with the money line. Okay, here's a, a an additional question on that. Do you think Indy's got a chance to get back into the AFC South race? No, absolutely not. I don't think they're
2: that good, but I think this game in particular, I think Taylor against this defense is going to look good
1: because they play the Titans next week.
2: Yeah, I I think the Titans beat them, and Um, I uh, yeah, I I think the Colts. And honestly, I think before too long, you see uh, Wentz get taken out so they don't have to give up that first round pick because if he doesn't play seventy percent of the snaps, they get their first round pick back. It becomes the second round pick. Uh, because of that trade with the eagles so i think they fall
1: out relatively soon and we see eason or whoever else in let me give you a couple of other quick nfl things so we won't wrap up the show quite yet who's the mvp in the league right now not who's going to win it who's the mvp in the league right now you know we've been talking about this a
2: lot honestly the mvp it depends what how you're asking this he can't win it the mvp in the league right now is derrick henry
1: that's interesting because uh, his odds are like fifth or sixth to I, win the MVP. I, I think it's
2: ninth or tenth at this
1: point. But, I, was, I mean, but yeah. Derrick Henry, by the time we get to the end of the year, it depends obviously on Kyler Maureen, Dak Prescott, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, but the the dude is an absolute outlier at the position. Yes. We have to start understanding the greatness of Derrick Henry. Yeah. And the fact that, oh, by the way, he's not slowing down no matter how many carries he gets. Um. I, 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 but it, he's, he's not the MVP right now.
2: No, I, I mean, I think he's the MVP as far as, you know, the, the true definition of MVP. Like, the Titans would be god-awful without him. They're, like, there's nothing they could do if he was out. On so would zone. the Cowboys. Sure, with was the Cowboys. I think the MVP right now, if I had to vote today, it's probably Lamar right now, especially the way he's done it in prime time. Um, But it's interesting. I think any of the top eight odds right now, whether it's Dak, whether it's Kyler, whether it's Lamar, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford or even Aaron Rodgers, I think all have really, really good cases right now. It's a fascinating
1: race. Defensive player of the year right now.
2: (laughs) Right now. It's Trayvon Diggs.
1: Yeah. Even though
2: there there will be people who say, you know, those two plays back to back was everything about it. even though yes, you could blame it on the safety or whatever. The fact that they went right back at him and there was a big play like that. Did, did,
1: did we ever get clarification from Dallas as to whose fault that was? The safety says it was his fault. Yeah, because Tony Romo put it on digs in the game.
2: Yeah. Like I, I think it was one of those situations where, yeah, technically uh, it was the safety fault at the same time Diggs digged fall for the double move. And the fact they went right back to him kind of says a lot about Diggs and that he will make the big plays and then he will give up the big plays as well. I think right now it's Trayvon Diggs. I think Miles Garrett ends up getting it. At I the think end.
1: Miles Garrett will end up being the defensive MVP as well. Um, does anybody other than Jamar Chase have a chance to win NFC, uh, to, to win offensive rookie of the year?
2: I'm still looking at, if Najee Harris keeps getting the oh. numbers he keeps getting, I understand.
1: Mac Jones would be the second pick for me.
2: It, he's just he's never gonna put up the numbers. I, I understand that. And if they get back in the race, that will factor in. But just in that offense, he's not going to get the I would put Trevor Lawrence before Mac Jones.
1: Micah Parsons. As the defensive has rookie of the year, as as of now, has to be. Yeah, because I can't even think of anybody else right now, rookie wise.
2: I, I there, you know, uh, Odefi, uh Odefi-Awa from uh, Baltimore right. has been good, but he's he's still kind of an off-ball linebacker, and he has to make more big plays. There, there have been some guys. Uh, Sertan has been good for Denver, but I, I, Parsons has been just all over the place. Even if he's not putting up the sacks numbers, he's just he's every time you're watching him, he's all over.
1: Are you place. a believer in Arizona?
2: I'm a believer in Arizona that they can make some noise in the playoffs but not as a true Super Bowl contender.
1: I am really I mean, we're going to know next Thursday, you know, when when Green Bay comes to town and but, you know, they've got three of the really impressive results of the season. Mm-hmm. They went to Tennessee and destroyed them. They went to L.A. and destroyed the Rams. And I know Cleveland was banged up last week, but they destroyed the Browns on the road. Like, I right now, to me... Arizona's not going to win the Super Bowl. But this is subject to change. Yeah. Like, I could feel a totally differently a week from now if they destroy Green Bay next Thursday night.
2: 100%. And, and I think um, they're very capable of destroying
1: By the Green way, Bay. they've got a lot of playmakers on defense, too. That's one of the things. I mean, offensively, when you really think about Arizona, they're uncheckable. Like, who... Y- If you can't, like Hopkins, Kirk, Green, Rondell Rondell Moore. Moore. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even mention him. as He's had up and down statistical weeks. But he's really good, Rondell Moore from from Purdue, a guy who, by the way, opted out of his senior year last year. Um, But those of us that have watched Big Ten football know two years ago he was an amazing player. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, the quarterback erases anything you try to take away. It's really, I don't know, man, Arizona, we got, I mean, maybe we'll look foolish for even considering this a few weeks from now, but there's something about that team that's that's really good. By the way, they blew out Cleveland on the road without their head coach too.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's the, um, big, the big thing for me. The, the question with them is simply the coaching. And if this has become just a team that anybody can coach, and, and maybe Cliff Kingsbury is a good coach and we just weren't able to see it before. And, you know, he is second in the uh, coach of the year race right now. But um, if Cliff Kingsbury is a good coach, or if this team has just become a team that you don't really, you know, you just turn it on and let them run, then yeah, I think that that's the biggest question right now.
1: Are you worried about the Chiefs at all? Worried as as in like they're not going to make, make the, playoffs? Pl- the playoffs? I
2: think you have to at least be thinking about it. I think this game's going to be very telling uh, this week against Tennessee. If they can't stop Derek Henrys, particularly if they can't stop Ryan Tannehill, then it becomes from well. This team just is going to be disappointing versus oh my God, this team could be a complete dumpster fire.
1: yeah, I don't know. I kind of sense that we're right around the corner from a big run from them um to take control of even the division
2: it's it's the defense though I, I know I think
1: the defense is but tr- they you know the truth is player wise it's not that much different than what they've had in recent years.
2: player wise, you're right, but um, it, it's been bad. On, every part of the defense has been bad. They can't stop the run they can't stop the pass they can't do anything right.
1: You think the Cowboys can get to the Super Bowl?
2: They can, yes. Will they? I wouldn't bet it right now. I think that they are, at best, you could make the argument for the third best team or fourth best team right now. In the NFC in the or NFC? in, the, in, in NFC. the NFL? In the NFC. Um, but I think... Who would you, were, so you'd
1: have Arizona, Tampa, Green Bay, and the Rams in front of them? Like I think some so. com-
2: If you wanted to say they're better than Green Bay, I would hear that.
1: You know, just... Um, not that I'm I'm doing the playoff scenario Kevin thing right now after six weeks, but the way the NFC is shaping up right now, subject to change, Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa, and either Arizona or the Rams are going to win. Are going to be your division winners, mm-hmm. and then the other team in the NFC West that doesn't win it, whether it's the Cardinals or the Rams, would be the fifth team, and then you start looking for the next two wild cards. And all I'm saying here is it's not going to be nuts if we uh, a month from now are talking about a team potentially getting in as an 8 and 9 team or a 9 and 8 team because after that the next two wild cards right now you would you would basically say nobody in the NFC East. Right. Because I don't think anybody in the NFC East other than the Cowboys are going to finish above 500. I hope the Eagles finish above 500 because I made a very large wager before the season started on over seven plus 120 on the Eagles. Um, the uh, God, they've had so many injuries, although I do think that they are a capable team. I, not not a playoff team, but then you go to the NFC North. I think the Vikings are very good. Um, I, you know, they really should be like five and one instead of three and three, but they've got a brutal, brutal schedule. Like literally when they come back from their bye, it's something like the Cowboys, the Ravens, the Chargers, and the Packers, I think are some order. I could be wrong. I think it's the Cowboys that they play on Sunday night, on Halloween night um, off of their bye week. And then I think it's like the Chargers, Ravens, and Packers. But they're a good team, and I think that they are capable of being a playoff team. I don't think the Bears or Lions are. I guess you would look at the Saints and the Panthers, maybe. Saints, Panthers, and 49ers. I guess the 49ers. I mean, you just picked them to lose to the Colts. I, and I understand. And I would drop them to two and five, Yeah. right? Or two and four. I don't know. Were they on a bye week last week? Um, in the, in the AFC. So, last question, and then we'll get out of here for the day. Your two Super Bowl teams right now on October 22nd, six weeks into the season. I'll go Rams and Bills. I'll go Baltimore and Tampa. I'll go Baltimore and Tampa. I almost said Baltimore and Dallas, but I'll go Baltimore and Tampa. And I am, I don't care what any of you think, I am rooting for Baltimore. I love Lamar (laughs) Jackson. I love watching Lamar Jackson. Um, And uh, they get, by the way, that's a big game Sunday. That is a huge game in the AFC North, Ravens and Bengals. That's a um,
2: sneaky game, like that. That's one everybody is, you know, teasing down to a pick or, or minus .5 for the Ravens. Uh, I'm a, if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm a little
1: nervous about that game. They, um, the Bengals are. I think I actually believe in the Bengals. So do I. I, I really do. All right, uh, that's it for the day. Have a great football weekend. Uh, back on Monday.